last week uh, when Werner, the song leader, uh, Facebooked me and asked me about the sermon title and the sermon outline, I, I did not really need to think. Uh, and, and I just sent her uh, the fifth sign uh, in the John's Gospel because I was on my sermon series about the seven signs in John's Gospel. So I just sent her uh, my sermon outline for feeding 5,000. And then on that night, I was driving home uh, from church. Um, of course, I was thinking about the whole situation of the church and you know, all the challenges we have, uh, different emotions, brothers and sisters that we're going through, uh, the lawsuit and all that thing. And then, I think God was communicating with me. And I heard that God reminded me that I had one sermon that I prepared last year and I did not have a chance to preach to you. And God was saying, I want you to deviate from your sermon series for one Sunday and preach that sermon that you were supposed to preach last year. What happened last year, it was November 16th. It was uh, a Sunday I was supposed to preach here. But on that Saturday, I became really sick. And then I had to call Pastor Don and say, Pastor Don, it's all yours tomorrow. And, and Pastor Don was nice enough to replace me and substitute me for that Sunday. And I had that sermon prepared and not able to preach. And I have forgotten about that sermon totally. But God reminded me, he said, I want you to change the sermon and preach that one. That sermon, I have saved it for this Sunday for you guys. So I thank God for his guidance. Uh, and it is really in a time like this that this special encountering of God really helped me and I hope it will help you too to grasp how much God cares for us. How much God is willing to be with us and, 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 and fill us with his presence and help us to realize that he is here. So, of course, you're not going to find feeding 5,000 in the book of Ephesians. Uh, but this is the scripture I'm going to preach today. And it is about prayer. In the gospel, Jesus gave us many promises that God will listen to our prayers. He said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you, will, you have received it and it will be yours. That's what Jesus said. And he also said, Truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything uh, they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Wow. Two of you. And look how many we have here. Maybe 200. So a hundred times more powerful, right? But reality is telling us that not all our prayers, or precisely not all our petitions, are answered according to our time and our desire. Not everything and every time we ask that we will receive. So, it's either the scriptural promises are overstated, or we are missing something in understanding or even claiming these promises. A lot of times, our prayers are circumstantial or situational. Our petitions 
are shaped by our circumstances. Prayers seem like a problem-solving strategy. And sadly, problems come first before solutions. That's why our prayers are mostly limited by our circumstances. Think, think about what we have been praying recently. Are those prayers not circumstantial? You know, our life, our family, our job, our studies, uh, our church, the lawsuit, etc. When prayers become merely a response to our problems, no wonder that we are not truly claiming the powerful promises for the privilege to pray. We're not claiming these powerful promises to speak to the only true infinite God, the Creator, who was, who is, and who will ever be. Prayers is at its most powerful state if we allow it to break through our circumstances and open our eyes to see what God has in place for us. The Bible passage today is exactly this. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, was in jail. But as we can see from his powerful prayer, it was not controlled by his adversity. It was not structured by his circumstance or even his problem. It is a claim of God's glorious promise regardless of Paul's own circumstance. Brothers and sisters, let's open our hearts as we listen to the Word of God from the letter to the Ephesians. And Lisa, I believe, is going to read this passage for us, and I'm going to turn to Lisa to lead us into this passage. Hello? Yeah. Uh, today's passage is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Feel free to follow along your Bible or on the screen behind me. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that you have revealed this powerful prayer to Paul, and he has recorded it accurately in his letter to the Ephesians. We just pray that the same prayer today will encourage us to stand firm and also to be loyal to you. For we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. The prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 is, a very, is very relevant to us today. But before we go into the details of this prayer, we need to get a hold of the context in which Paul was praying first. The letter to the Ephesians was written while Paul was in prison. In chapter 3, verse 1, 
Paul called himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. Many Bible scholars generally agree that Paul was imprisoned in Rome in about 62 AD for about two years. And eventually, after a few years later, Paul was martyred in Rome too. Therefore, the coming to birth of this letter to the Ephesians was at a time of imminent persecution or tribulation for the church. As a leader of the church, Paul's persecution was definitely not just a personal matter. The persecution from the Roman government to the church in general was becoming inevitable. For the believers in Ephesus, when they saw Paul, their pastor, was imprisoned, it was natural and understandable for them to, to feel discouraged, to, to be worried, and even feel fearful because they would very likely face the same tribulation and persecution. That's why Paul, right before his prayer in verse 13, he stated that, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul understood it so well that external adversity can easily tempt believers to compromise our faith in Christ. For example, at that time, Christians would be tempted to offer worship to Roman emperor to avoid persecution. Therefore, Paul stated clearly that adversity should never deteriorate the integrity of the church and that persecution should never derail the church from its great commission. And under such premise, Paul prays. When he begins his prayer, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Paul calls his prayer object the Father. Well, calling God as Father doesn't sound much of a big deal to us nowadays, because we just see it as normal. We take it for granted that God is our Father. However, this title of God is very groundbreaking in the early church. In the Old Testament, many writers have described Yahweh, the Lord, as a Father. But surprisingly, none of the writers in the Old Testament has called Yahweh, the Lord, as my Father or our Father. Well, when you say, you are so nice to me, just like a father. Or when you say, good morning, dad, they're very different. The first one is a metaphorical description. And the second one is a personal title. The Old Testament only describes God as a father. But the New Testament, Jesus teaches us to call God our father. From a description to a personal relationship. The term father in Aramic in which Jesus spoke is called Abba. Paul sometimes mixed Aramic with Greek as he called Abba the father, which are essentially the same thing. From a linguistic point of view, Abba is a word that is easiest to pronounce. Because no matter you are so young, like a baby, that your teeth have not all come out, or you're getting old and without teeth and there's no denture at pause time and you can still pronounce Abba 
you can still call our God Father. Jesus prays to the Father. Paul prays to the Father. We all pray to this same Father as well. And this is because this direct address to the title Father, Jesus had brought, has brought Paul and us into a relationship that originally only shared by him and the Father God. And it is because we now have the same Father that we are in essence a family. That's why when Paul prays to the Father, he said, From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The term every family should be translated as the whole family. It is not about each individual family. It's not about many different families. It's about the whole big family of God. This whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name from the Father. In Greek, the word for family is patria, and the word for father is patera. This is similar to the relationship between English words family and father. Family comes from father. Patria, family, comes from patera, the father. Therefore, the essence of a family is because we have one same father. Paul's prayer from its very beginning is being constructed on the foundation of family and unity. So after Paul has set sight on, on the Father, he is now entering into the content of his prayer for the church, for this family under the same Father. The first petition he has is this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. The first thing Paul asks for the church is strength. Strength is a very reasonable thing to ask for, especially during a time when the church is about to face persecution. However, what is very bold in Paul's petition here is the source of the strength that he is asking from. The source of it. The source of this strength for the church that Paul asks is from the glorious riches of God. What Paul is saying here? Well, he is asking, Father, please give us the strength that we need, but please strengthen us not according to the strength that we have, not according to how many people in our attendance, not according to how much money we have in our bank. Father, strengthen us, but not according to our condition or our merit. Because all we have is very limited, very insignificant. If the strength is based on our condition, such strength will only make us proud. So Paul asked, Father, please give us strength. Please give strength to your church, but according and only according to your glorious riches. According to your limitless and inexhaustible glory. According to such glory, 
that the heavens must declare and the skies must proclaim. According to this glory, that compels all creation to praise holy, holy, holy. That it shakes doorposts and thresholds and it fills the temple with smoke. Now, Father, please strengthen our church, our family, according to the glory that only you, Father, is worthy of. Wow. What do you think? That's boldness. But then, what would be the appropriate medium for such glorious power to be instilled into the church? Paul said that such medium must only be the Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit in the Holy Trinity. So who is this Spirit of the Father? Well, we have known this Spirit all along, as early as in Genesis. This Spirit is the one who hoover over the waters, who turned the universe from formlessness, chaos and emptiness into according to its kind. This Spirit is the one who hoovered over the emptiness of a virgin womb and brought the word of, or the Logos into flesh. This Spirit is the one who came down like a violent wind and fire from heaven to the early apostles of Christ, enabling them to speak in other tongues that in one single occasion, thousands and thousands of people repent and came to Christ by faith. So that's what we pray. Father God, out of your glorious riches that you may strengthen us with the power through your Spirit in our inner being. Well now, you may ask, what is this inner being? What does Paul refer to? Well, this inner being does not really mean our heart only, but also our entire non-physical being, such as our emotion, our desire, our spirituality. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul wrote, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our outer being, our physical part, will deteriorate due to environmental factors, sickness, Injuries, so simply as time passes. But our inner being is not subject to those, to these external damages. Our inner being can even be renewed stronger day by day. The imprisonment of Paul can subject his body to damages or deterioration. But it cannot erode away the strength in his inner being. It's the same for us, brothers and sisters. That challenges, setbacks, no doubt can create damages to us or even to our church. But it does not mean that it can wear down the strength within us and among us. Because we receive this strength through the Spirit of the Holy Trinity. And the source of this strength is the glorious riches of the Father. So we ask the Father to strengthen us in our inner being. But then we may ask, for what? Why do we need to be strengthened in our inner being? That's why Paul continues to pray. 
He asked God the Father so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, we need the strength in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Well, we may have a question here. Isn't Christ already in our hearts? Hasn't Christ already dwelled in our hearts the moment we committed ourselves to Him in faith? Of course, Christ has entered our hearts the moment we surrender to His Lordship. Christ is always here, even when we constantly fall short of God's glory. But then, why we need to ask for this divine strength so that Christ may dwell in our hearts? Well, it certainly sounds like Christ dwelling within us is conditional. Well, we need to understand the original meaning of the word dwell. The root of the, of the original Greek form of this word is oikio. And uh, it's spelled like this, yes, oikio. It's related to the word oikos. Oikos, which means yogurt. No, actually, it means home. Um, yeah. In Greek language, one can add different prepositions to a word to create another word for different meanings. For example, one can add the preposition par to the word oikio to form a new word par oikio. This word means temporary dwelling or dwell as a visitor. This word appears a few times in First Peter, when Peter referred to church as foreigners in the world, that's why some churches call themselves parish, which comes from this word pa-oikyo. But of course, Paul did not add the preposition pa to the word oikyo in his prayer here. Just the opposite. Paul added the preposition of cut, meaning it cut oikyo. This word means settle down permanently. So he prays, Father God, out of your glorious riches, that you may strengthen us with the power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may settle down permanently in our hearts. Well then, what kind of heart condition is required so that Christ can dwell in there comfortably and permanently. Now we need to look into the meaning of the original Greek form of the word heart. Now, sorry for a little too much on linguistic today. The original Greek word for heart creates, uh, carries a more fundamental meaning of control center or decision-making center. If we combine the meaning of the two Greek words I talk about today, we will be able to, to get the essence of Paul's petition here. Paul is praying that God will strengthen our inner being according to God's glorious riches so that we will let Christ settle down comfortably and permanently in our control center or decision-making center. Paul is praying that we will let go of our desire or our need to be in control of our lives. Paul is praying that we will surrender the sovereignty of our lives to Christ. 
Paul's prayer is opposite to the values of society and culture that we have today. Our world puts so much significance on selves. We can tell it by looking at the most popular way of photography these days, right? Which is selfies, right? Never ever in history that we would take so many pictures of ourselves. In this self-promoting culture, it is getting more and more tempting to pick and choose which Bible teachings to follow based on our own preference. We are tempted to interpret Bibles in our own way, or worse, we are sometimes even tempted to use Bible teaching as a reference to back up our own point of views or our own desire. That way, the Word of God would become a tool at our disposal to serve our need or to justify our actions. Brothers and sisters, this temptation to put our preference over and above the Word of God is much stronger than you and I could ever imagine. It is the same from the days of Adam and Eve to now. If this temptation is not so so strong, Paul wouldn't have needed to pray for this power from God's glorious riches to be instilled to us. So we pray, brothers and sisters, Father God, out of your glorious riches that you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may settle down permanently in our control and decision-making center. But now that Christ settles down in our control center, what effect will it do to us? Paul continues with his prayer. He said, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So obviously, when Christ settles down in our control center, one characteristic that will manifest in our life is love. In this section of Paul's prayer, he mentions many aspects of love. First, he prays that our lives to be rooted and established in love. Love being our core, our very nature, our identity, our way of living a Christian life. But when Paul prays about love being our root, I can't help but think that unfortunately, we, any of us, could have chosen many other things to be our root, our core, or our foundation of life. But what would happen when our lives are not rooted and established in love? Well, two things will happen. First, as Paul's prayer goes on, that we may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The word grasp could mean seize firmly or integrate comprehensively. It means that we are established, if we are established in love, that we, we will be completely enlightened. Paul prayed that when our lives are rooted and established in love, we would be able to seize firmly 
integrate comprehensively of how wide, long, high and deep is the love of Christ. When we allow Christ to settle down in our control center, we will be enlightened of how extensive this Christ's love is. We can experience how marvelous His love is only when we allow Him to completely take control over our lives. Paul used this 4D model, wide, long, high, deep, to describe the love of Christ. The original meaning carries an implication of unlimited width, unlimited length, height, and depth. It means that the love of Christ is continuously breaking through boundaries. In other words, there's nothing that can stop the love of Christ from manifesting itself. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because His love is boundlessly wide, long, high, and deep. The second thing that will, that will happen when our lives are rooted and established in love is that we will integrate comprehensively Christ's love, not just within ourselves individually, but also together with all the Lord's holy people, us. Paul's prayer is that we all together to cease firmly of how boundlessly wide, long, high, and deep the love of Christ is. But why together? What, what, why it cannot be just individual? Well, simply because this Father God is the same Father for all of us, our Petera. We are one Petria. We as holy people form one big family under the same Father. We are related by blood, Jesus' blood. But I'm sure we all know it's no easy thing to try to seize firmly the love of Christ together as a community. It is not easy. Paul knows it. He knows it that it is already very difficult to seize firmly the love of Christ individually within us let alone doing it with other people. That's why Paul specifically prays that we have the power. Yeah, we have the power to do that. The term should render to be strong enough or to have the full strength. Why is seizing firmly the love of Christ together require full strength? The reason is obvious. When Paul was praying this prayer, where was he? He was in prison. Roman prison is a place that aimed at negating the love of Christ and denying the faithfulness of our Father God. Moreover, think about the church in Ephesus. They might be sensing an imminent persecution. They are going to suffer. Churches are going to be taken down. All these adversities aim at making Christ's love untrue, irrelevant, or unrealistic. Also, Paul is not a naive Christian. He would not have thought that Christians coming together will automatically experience peace and harmony. No way. Paul had dealt with church disputes or church splits more than any of us had ever had. 
he knew that it is really not easy for Christians to maintain unity. That's why combining external attacks with internal conflicts, Paul prayed that we have the full strength in order to seize firmly how wide, how long, how high, and how deep Christ's love is together. Brothers and sisters, we are no different. And we need to pray to our Father God in a context where churches are getting more hostility from outside and more potential conflicts arise from inside, from time to time, within a church. That all these aim at stopping us from seizing firmly the love of Christ together. So we need to pray this, that Father God, out of your glorious riches, that you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that we will be strong enough to firmly seize the love of Christ together as the family. Later on today, we are going to be coming in front of the table of the Lord's Supper. It is going to remind us that Christ dwells here and we have to let go. And by doing that, we are going to receive power, this divine power from God. And when we are taking the bread and the cup, they are going to remind us and we need to be reminded that we are called to seize firmly this love of Christ together as a patria. Now, after that, Paul had arrived at the last petition in his prayer. We might wonder what more can Paul ask for after asking that we will be strong enough to seize firmly the love of Christ together. Isn't that already a perfect condition for a church? What else can we pray about for the church? Well, there is more. Paul continues to pray with extreme boldness. He prays that you, God, the Father, actually, you refer to church, that you, the church, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of our Father God. Now Paul prayed that God will fill the church. But then, what did Paul ask God to fill the church with? What does it mean? By to the measure of all the fullness of God. Well, Paul here is essentially saying, Father, please fill your church with all your perfect nature. Father God, whatever attributes you are, please fill your church with all these attributes. He's saying, Father God, please fill your church to the extent that only your wholeness, your completeness can measure against. So now we can pray this. We can pray, Father, your faithfulness is perfect. So please fill your church right here with such perfect faithfulness. Father, your love is totally sacrificial. So fill your church right here with such sacrificial love. Father, the unity among the Holy Trinity is complete. So please, fill your church right here with such complete unity. 
Wow. Do you see this? Paul is not praying for slight spiritual uplifting. He's not praying for moderate change in perspective. He's not even praying for a change in his circumstance. Remember Paul was praying in a prison cell. Remember that the church that Paul was praying for was facing an imminent persecution. But Paul's prayer was not shaped by his circumstance. Paul's prayer was not a problem-solving strategy. Paul's prayer breaks through circumstantial limitations. He was praying for the church regardless of the circumstance that God would fill the church with His own fullness. So we can also pray that Father would infuse His own divine attributes into our church so that this family, this patria, can reflect the glorious nature of the Father, the Patera, regardless of our circumstance. In church history, Paul's petition was challenged by certain theologians that his claim of God's fullness is essentially for humans to become God. Now, we have the fullness of God. But is this challenge valid? I don't think so. I don't think this challenge is valid. Not even logical. Think about this. If you pour water into a glass to its fullness, the glass will still be a glass. It won't turn into water, even if it is filled with water. You fill a balloon with helium, the balloon is still a balloon. It won't turn into helium. But think about this. On the other hand, when a glass is filled with water, it is the moment that this glass is totally fulfilling its calling as a glass. When you fill a balloon with helium, it's when the balloon looks the most like a balloon. If we apply the same logic, when we humans are filled to the fullness of God, we won't become God. Quite the contrary. It's when we become fully human. It's when we become fully church. Do you agree? No wonder Paul's prayer is considered the second boldest prayer in history just after the Lord's Prayer. So in the prison cell, Paul's petition for this suffering church has come to an end. But his prayer is not finished yet. After praying to the Father that he will strengthen the inner being of the church, that this strength will enable us to let Christ settle down in our control center, that this power will strengthen us so that we together can seize firmly the boundlessness of the love of Christ, that God would fill us to His fullness. Paul cannot just stop right here. He has to offer a doxology to the Father Abba. He continues to pray. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all we ask or imagine, according to His power, that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And we all say, Amen. Take note again that Paul was praying in a prison. The church is facing an imminent persecution. But what can separate us 
from the love of Christ. What can stop God to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? Nothing. Now at the end, I would like to take you all the way back to the beginning of the prayer. It says, Paul kneeled before the Father. Jews don't usually kneel when praying. They stand and sometimes they lift up their head. But in this critical moment, Paul felt the urgency. He bent his knees. He kneeled down. Perhaps today, brothers and sisters, we should learn not only the content of this prayer, but also this petitioner's heart and desire, his urgency. Perhaps today, we can learn from Paul that we have the same urgency to pray for our patria in such an urgent mode that God will fill us with all His fullness, all His attributes. Would you join me in such prayer? Father, Abba, we pray that out of your glorious riches, that you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may settle down in our hearts, and that we will be rooted and established in love, so that by your power we can together firmly seize the boundless nature of the love of Christ, and at the end, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of you, Father. But to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. We pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.